Well, good morning again. Uh, like I say, numbers are limited, so this is kind of a, a, short, a short crew uh, doing, doing these things. Um, if you've been with us uh, the few Sundays, the beginning of this year, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I've heard a lot of convicting messages um, from this pulpit. Uh, if you have not, uh, you can go back, thanks to the, the sound ministry for, from guys like Jason, guys like Sam Salazar and Robert McKay, uh, they have it recorded on the podcast. Uh, so if I'm speaking somewhere else, I can still listen to it on the podcast, so I'm thankful for that. But the messages have been this idea of <clears throat> not being conformed to the world, uh, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. Um, this, this difficulty that we have with living for Christ. And one of the things I ask myself is, is why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard um, to consistently have to be reminded of these things? And a number of passages came to mind, and I was sharing with, with Marilyn this morning. I wasn't entirely sure uh, what to speak on exactly this morning. There were so many things uh, that the Lord had brought to my attention and that uh, I have a desire to share. But if you can go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, we're going we're to start, um, in a sense, where it all began for us. And we're going to look at some of the mistakes that were made by our earliest ancestors uh, are the mistakes that we continue to make today. And some of the problems that we have are attributed to the same condition um, that these uh, individuals found themselves in. And the one thing I want you to, to hear first, and depending on how far we get um, and how many we can look at, um, we're going to see that our, our sin begins when we doubt what God has said. Um, initially, that's where it starts. There's something that we doubt either about the word of God or the character of God. And from that point, we respond with pride. Um, there's this sense of, well, I don't believe what God has said, or I don't believe this about God's person, and therefore I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Um, and we see that this doubt and then followed by this pride is really the reason for why we commit sin. Um, and if you can think of the sins that you commit on a daily basis, if you could think of the big sins that you've committed in your life, um, somehow you've either doubted the fact that you'll have to stand in judgment for those sins, um, or you forgot the, the power of God and his hatred towards sin. There's something that has occurred where you have taken a step back and said, I don't really believe that all the way. Um, there are many preachers that have made this statement that the, the greatest uh, teacher for evangelists would be to spend a minute in hell and to realize the, the severity and the impact of what happens when someone dies without Christ, when someone dies without faith in the only gift that is given, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there is an eternal punishment that takes place. And the people that we're going to speak of, if we get to it, uh, we'll, we'll, if we get to Cain, um, we're going to look at Cain as a man that held on to his pride, that would not repent, and um, really was the first one on the list to go um, to hell. And when we think of that, all those years before, he's still there, um, and he will be there. It's a, it's a sobering thought, but we're going to look at what happened here, and we're going to try to make some application to our lives, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will bring to mind the things that perhaps you have doubted about God's word or God's character and the things that perhaps you have went out in pride and are because of that there's a need for repentance and faith. 
Uh, before we get to Genesis 3, we're going to look at the commandment God gives, and it's in uh, Genesis 2, uh, verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Um, that's the initial command. It's not a difficult command. It wasn't hard to understand. Um, basically, you can eat anything you like except this one tree. And the reason you cannot eat from this one tree is because it will do you great, great harm. Now, we do this as parents all the time. I tell my boys, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. You cannot run in the middle of the street. Um, you know, you cannot just run away and leave my side where I, I can't see you. And it's not because I don't want my kids to not have fun. It's because it's safe for them where I can see them and take care of them. I've given them these commandments for their own protection and for their own good, not to harm them in any way. And this is similar to this commandment here. What, what God explains in this portion is his abundant giving. Anything that they want, they can partake of, except for this one fruit. So and we're going to get to it in chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. We have here the, the fall of man, and the reason why we are all sinners um, this morning. Um, we have this difficult situation in where God had put Adam in charge, and he had given him a wife, and this wife Eve was supposed to obey the same commandments that Adam was given. We see that the serpent did not directly approach Adam, but approached Eve. And in approaching Eve, the, Lord, the, the word of the Lord says that this, the serpent was crafty. He was going to be clever. It was going to appeal to the intellect. It was going to make you think. It was going to make you grow. And what's interesting is he asked this question in such a way, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Where God says, you may freely eat of any tree, Satan says, has God said that you cannot eat of any tree of the garden? There's this slight twist in words that Satan uses to pique our interest. And what it does is it puts within our hearts this idea that God is hiding something from us. He's holding something back. He's not giving us the whole picture. And we see Eve kind of bites on that, and she responds. Instead of going to Adam and having Adam step in the place, Eve is interested, and she wants to know more. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Um, 
not quite. If you eat from the tree, you will die. Not if you just touch it. So there's this, sometimes we do this with the word of God. Um, we, we, and this is something that plagues the rest of the scripture. You legalize something. So God's word specifically says, don't do this. And you make that to mean a whole bunch of other things. Don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. And what you don't realize is you're, following, you're falling into the same trap that Satan trapped Eve where you present God as one that is withholding something from you. God doesn't want you to have it. God wants to keep it from you. And therefore you cannot do all of these things. Yet when you go to the word of God, it doesn't really say all of those things. And you, you're put in this difficult position to now question what is true. Is what this person is saying is true or is what the word of God is saying is true? So if Eve had this in, this in her mind, we want to think of this. If she believed this wholeheartedly, that she could not eat of it or touch it, we're going to see how that may be a plague later on when she does eat of the fruit. So the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's always said that um, Satan deals in half-truths, but he wants you to believe the wrong half. Part of this is true. There, was, there would be a sense their eyes would be open, they would know the difference between good and evil. But Satan says, you shall not surely die. That was the lie. But you notice that Eve believes the other part, not the part that would condemn her. What's interesting is that in this portion, as it's presented, um, Satan is going to seem like he was telling the truth. And what is beginning to happen here for Eve is this breakdown in her belief in who God is, that God is indeed a good God, that God wants what's best for us, that God only gave us this command to take care of us. And instead, now she's questioning the goodness of God. And I'd like to suggest that's where our sin begins. When we think that God has put something in his scripture that we are to obey in such a way that we think God's withholding something from us, and, not, and missing the point that God has put these things in his scripture that we should obey because they're good for us, because they're beneficial, because they help us. So the serpent flat says, you will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So at that moment when she reaches for that fruit and she takes it, if she believed that she couldn't touch it, it would embolden her to think maybe Satan was telling the truth and maybe God really was wrong and he was just lying to us this whole time. You see how important it is to know what the Word of God says? Because the minute you make this false assumption and she reaches for that fruit and she touches it and she pulls it down and nothing happens, she's going to think, hmm, maybe I had this all wrong. It's important for us to know what the Word of God says. When we speak of faith, we speak of it in a sense of faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We don't just believe whatever makes us feel good. We believe what God has said. 
And the reason we believe what God has said is because God is holy and cannot lie. God is all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He knows the end from the beginning. He has set these things in order. He has laid things out in his scripture, these prophecies that have been fulfilled, to prove that we can trust him. Faith is not something that is just, I hope so, or I think so. Faith is something that we can see a promise given in the word of God and say, I choose to believe this. And I choose to believe it because God said so. What Eve had struggled with at this point is she knew what God had said in part. She adds to it, and maybe this mistake has caused her to reach of the fruit and then to doubt God even further. As she takes of the fruit, it says she examines it. She saw that it was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. The tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate. And as sin always does, it corrupts others, and she gave it to her husband as well. You see, when people are involved in sin, they want you to be involved in sin. Somehow it gives them this, this pleasure to corrupt things. Before I had children, I thought it was important to you know, expose your children to certain things and they need to make decisions for themselves. And I've grown now to think that that's all a crock and that innocence is something that should be protected, not corrupted. And there's this desire I have now for my sons to not have to experience that corruption, and especially not for me to be the one to corrupt them in such a way. But sin has this, this weird sense of, of, of joy in bringing others in with them. That's why you've got to be careful who you hang around with. That's why you've got to be careful what you choose to do on the weekends and with your friends. Um, because they may have the best of intentions at heart. They may think good thoughts about you. But if they are involved in something, they want you to be just as involved. We see that as she examines it, this, this thing that would be the death of her, it looks good. It, it appeals to her. It appeals to her eyes. It appeals to her taste. She thinks it's going to taste good. And it appeals to the sense that she wants to be like God. And it's interesting to say that, the, in a sense, one of the, the first sin that was committed was a desire to be godly. But a desire to be godly in the wrong way. As she sees this fruit, as she examines it, she has this desire to be like God, which is interesting because God's desire is that we be like him. But somehow in this discourse with Satan... She has forgot the goodness of God. She has doubted the goodness of God. She has believed Satan and believed that the very thing God wants to give her is the very thing that God is keeping from her. And I'd like to encourage you all this morning that this is where our sin starts. This doubt that creeps into our minds. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. We see that so far what Satan said was true. They bit, their eyes were open, they began to understand, they saw that they were naked. And so what did they do? They, they sought a ramification to cover up themselves. The sin they, they had committed, they decided that they were going to try to hide now. Um, not like us, uh, I know with Noah, um, when he was young, he was very honest. You ask him anything, and he, did you, Noah, did you 
push that little boy down? Yeah, I pushed him. I pushed him down. Now you ask him, Noah, did you push that little boy down? No. I grabbed a toy and he fell. There's this deceit. He's trying to cover things up where he didn't know before that he needed to do that. He wanted the toy and he was a sinner and he was selfish and all those things. But he hadn't got to the point where he wanted to be deceitful. And we're at that stage now where there's this little deceit taking place where, no, I I didn't necessarily do what you're saying, but I did. This is what's taking place here. The immediate desire for them is to cover themselves, to try to hide what has just been done. In verse 8, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The next thing we do with our sin is we make excuses. We cannot hide the fact that we have sinned from God. God is very well aware that this sin has taken place. And Adam knows this. I mean, he he has to know this. He's now all of a sudden wearing a covering of fig leaves around him. Uh, You know, when we're little and we get our hands caught in the cookie jar... And uh, mom says, are you eating that cookie before dinner? Well, well, you're caught. Why would you lie now? Yeah, I was going to eat, you know, before dinner. There's this sense that the, the minute that we're put in a place where we have to confess these things, we have an immediate response to make an excuse for it. That comes in various things today. Um, we make excuses all the time for our sins. Uh, the world is what it is. Uh, particularly, we have this struggle in business where um, it's very easy to justify, well, taxes are high and comp is ridiculous, and so I'm just not going to claim this portion um, that I made, and that way I won't be taxed on it. Um, And I'm doing that because the system makes me do that. That's just an excuse. That's not really true. What happens here is we see the blame game taking place, but in a sense it's true. Adam looks to God and he says, look, the woman that you gave me, she took it and she ate it and she gave it to me and I ate. But there's a woman that did it. And some people have flipped this on its, on its side and said, you know, Adam seeing this one, that, uh, this bride that has been given to him in that state and wanting to be with her, he himself knowingly took that fruit and ate of it that he would be with her. Um, we just have the facts. We don't really have the motivation um, other than the fact that he, it was given to him and he ate it. Um, he asks the woman, and the woman says, look, this serpent deceived me, and I did eat of it. So it says in verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. 
To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And we'll just deal with these first. So first he curses the serpent. On your belly you shall go. When he speaks to the woman, or he's speaking to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Um, In the midst of this judgment that is being placed for the first sin committed, we see the promise that God would establish that he would eventually have a seed that would crush the head of the serpent. And from this point, we're going to see a thread of God working throughout this entire scripture to bring about the person of Jesus Christ that would crush Satan's head and that would once and for all deal with this sin that has been begun here. This idea that the woman will have pain in childbirth, um, I have not experienced firsthand, but I have witnessed it secondhand and it seems painful. This idea that your desire will be for your husband has confused uh, many people, Um, but we all will understand what it is when when I explain it here. And this idea of desire is this desire to be an authority over. So because of the fall, because of the curse, the woman will always have the desire to be in charge of the husband. All the wives go like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, my wife is the same thing where it's so, and we talk about it all the time. It drives me just up the wall. She, she does this thing where she'll ask Noah, but she tells me, Noah, what would you like to have for dinner? Noah, what would you like to watch right now? Noah, what would you like to, I'm like, the kid is three years old. He has no idea. You need to tell him what he is going to be doing. But for me, it's not a question. Justin, do this. Justin, do that. Could you take out the trash? Could you uh, bring in the mail? Could you, hey, the, light, the Christmas lights are still up, and it's January 15th. They need to come down. Um, there's no real asking involved. She, she, there's this innate desire in her because of sin to try to just usurp this authority and to tell me what to do. And we have to admit that. That's just this natural inclination because of the fall. It says, he will rule over you. This idea that it will always be the man's responsibility to be the head of the household. And the reason why it is so difficult for women is because as men, we aren't doing our job as being the head of the household, as making the tough decisions. I find myself, anytime a decision comes around, uh, it's just easier to say, okay, Kathy, whatever you want to do, we'll do. Um, Though it may be easier, it is not proper. And there is this sense of comfort in knowing that I'm responsible. There was certain decisions that were higher level decisions, very serious decisions, where we were going to live when we got married, what we were going to do, and how we were going to start our, our, our life as a couple for Christ. And she said this, I'll submit to you as long as you submit to Christ. And in all of these things, we trust you. And all of a sudden, this weight of responsibility comes over, and you're, as a man, you're like, mm, I'm not so sure. That sounds like a good idea. But it's right. It's what should take place. So uh, the reason it may be so hard for, for women uh, sometimes is because the men, uh, ultimately, we're not doing our job. In the same sense that Adam did not protect his wife here in this case and was left vulnerable, 
and this has come in the same sense if the man is not protecting his wife today it will be difficult <clears throat> what I wanted to show from this portion comes in this next bit when he speaks to Adam in verse 17 then to Adam he said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying you shall not eat from it cursed is the ground because of you in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you will eat bread you will return to the ground because from it you were taken from, for you are dust and to dust you shall return now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living uh, so what's taking place is this curse for Adam uh, the, the work that he's going to have to do and now the difficulty in the work um, one of the things that's interesting is that when we think of death, we think of the separation from our body. When God speaks of death, he speaks of separation, and we have to determine what separation is he speaking of. The death, this idea that he has, is this idea of the separation from God. So as death has taken place, Adam and Eve have now to be separated from God. The death that he speaks of here, to the ground you will return, is this separation of our soul from our body. I just want you to follow that. So he already had established one curse. This is a second curse. So one of the questions has come up um, that, you know, the statement is made, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How can we make such a bold statement? And the Bible explains it in such a way that even though the law didn't exist for a time, sin still reigned. And we can see sin still reigning because all men die. So the fact that we know that all men are sinners is because all people die. Nobody escapes death. So this is this inclination that the word of God is telling us that indeed all have sinned. So when you think of your sin and you may think, well, my sin's not that bad. Well, are you afraid of dying? Because if your sin wasn't that bad, then you wouldn't be afraid of dying. You're going to live forever. But one sin we see eating of the fruit was enough. So Adam makes this statement that man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. This is a statement of faith from Adam. That though they had sinned, though they have to face a separation, though one day his body will return to the ground, he believes this promise that God has given in verse 15. So again, faith is hearing what God has said and choosing to believe it. God has said that the seed of the woman will come up and will crush the head of the serpent. And so Adam makes this statement of Eve, she is the mother of all living, because it's from her seed that life is going to come. We see from this one little verse and this one little statement of faith, really the idea that forms the coming of Christ, and that he has to be virgin born. And we see that God takes this very broad statement, and over the course of history, throughout the scriptures, he is going to amend it to such a point that it can only be proven in one person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. So there was something that needed to take place because of their sin. In verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Um, we assume the animal did not give up his skin willingly, um, that indeed blood had to be shed. Um, for this skin and this covering of skin to be made. 
What we ourselves would make as a covering is not sufficient in the eyes of God. And God did not ask them to go out and hunt and slay an animal and make this coat of skin. God provided it for them. This is the pattern that we see throughout Scripture. So if you're here today and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you couldn't say without a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you would go to heaven. You still believe that your covering is going to be enough before God. But God says, I've provided a covering in the person of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, Adam and Eve's covering was not enough. Can you see why we often ask this question, one way of salvation through one person. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Why? Why so narrow? Why so simple? Should it be something that we have to work for? What God really desires from us is faith. What happened in the garden here, what broke down in the garden was a lack of faith. All of a sudden, someone else came along and they began to doubt everything that they believed about God. And so what God will require now in, the, in all of mankind is to have faith in what God has said. And this is salvation. God has said that Jesus is the only way. That by his sacrifice, by his shed blood, is the only way that your sin can be paid for. The only way that you can be forgiven. God offers the payment for your sin. And you receive it as a gift. Something you ask for. It's something you receive. And it's something you then possess. And can't be taken away from you. The statement that Adam makes is the sign of his faith. That indeed what God said would come to pass. There was this problem. We see the separation. The Lord said to God, or the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. We see that even in this case, as God has begun this separation, he does so for our own good. There is a consequence for sin, and even the consequence is meant as a good thing, because it's from God. So when we have this uh, example, and it's easiest to use my son Noah as an example, because this is the relationship we've established. I only want good things for my son. I mean him no bad things, no evil, and I am a wicked person, and I only want good things for my son. When he disobeys and I am training him to live by what the scripture teaches, there is consequences involved. And those consequences are not meant in an evil way. Those consequences are meant in a nurturing way for him to grow and understand. In the same way God deals with us as children. So when God brings difficult times, praise him. He's trying to help you. He's trying to bring about good. And I'll, and I'll, I'll share this story. With, uh, when we had Ben, Kathy had her leave. She comes back to work. She works for a week. And on the following Monday, she's laid off. It comes in. And you think, at first, I, I'm with my father. I get this text message. You know, uh, I've just got laid off. And there's this sudden feeling of, Okay, God, if we're trusting in this too much, if we're depending on these things too much, 
if you want to work out good things for us, then we'll just be patient and we'll see what you have for us. Without God, people are devastated by that. I mean, my wife has had to lay off many people before, and it is always a shock, and it is always hard to deal with. Um, even when they know it's coming, there's still this question of what's going to happen in the future. Well, we know that God only does good things, that even though something is painful at the point in time, God works great things. So what did Kathy get? She got four more months home with Ben, which was fabulous, and she got a, a better job, closer to home, better benefits, in a place that she likes to work now. God only gives good things. And had he given something else, it would have been better. This is the idea. God means things for good. And if you have these doubts, I want to warn you that those are the doubts that lead to sin. God means good towards you, even if, it, even if you don't understand it. I'm sure Adam, at this time, leaving this beautiful uh, place that God had created, did not think this is a good you know, that I'm going and going to suffer and toil and labor and all of these things when I'm leaving what I know behind. But God had to do this because he did not want Adam to take of this fruit and stay in this state forever. And that as he had set this up as Adam as the head, and later on down the line, Jesus would be set up as this head. And in Romans chapter 5, that's what it's all about. By one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. Just in the same way, by one man's one act, righteousness comes into the world and life through it. This is all being set up for our good. We're going to briefly look at Cain and Abel because I want you to see this point. Once you start to doubt, it's going to then lead to pride. In uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell." We would assume that both of these brothers heard the same word from God. Um, we know that in, in Hebrews chapter 11, um, I'll just read it real quick. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of this moment of why one was accepted and not the other. It says, by faith in, in Hebrews, chapter, we'll start with chapter 11 verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds uh, were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. And we've, dis we've discussed that faith is hearing the word of God and choosing to believe it. So the word of God has gone out to Cain and Abel, that in order for a proper sacrifice to be accepted, obviously it has to be of the firstlings of the flock, it has to be a blood sacrifice. Cain, hearing these things, says, perhaps, I did not sin like Adam sinned. I am not as guilty as him, and I have worked hard to give this gift to God, and I think it's good enough, so that's what I'm going to bring. And so Cain brings this offering, and we can assume that it was a beautiful offering, that it was the best that Cain had. And Abel is a tender of the flock. Now, mind you, you, can't, you don't eat meat at this point in time. 
So I don't know what he's doing watching the sheep, other than it seems that he's dedicated his life to make sure that he had provision to offer the sacrifice. So by faith, Abel takes of the firstlings of his flock and offers this sacrifice to God, and God has favor on Abel's because Abel did as God had said. Cain, on the other hand, wanted to do it his own way. And so the minute I want to show you, once we start doubting what the word of God says, we start making up our own truth that, and people do this all the time, uh, before I was a believer, you make this statement. Um, You see somebody that claims to be a believer, and they don't live quite up to your standard of life, and so you pass judgment on them. And you say, well, if God is going to accept that person into heaven, then he has to accept me, because I am, in fact, better than this individual. That's not what God said at all. Now I'm just making stuff up. Now it's just my level of pride in looking at someone else and saying, well, you're worse than I am, or you're more wicked than me. And if God's going to let you in, then he has to let me in. So Cain's looking at this thing and saying, well, I didn't sin like Adam sinned. And I'm not really as guilty as he is. And I have labored in this thing, and this is much prettier than a blood sacrifice. This is ugly. This is, this is uh, gruesome. This is uh, uh, horrifying. But one obeyed the word of God and the other did not. So if we're, if we're having trouble in our spiritual life, I want to encourage you to, to evaluate the things in our lives that maybe we're doubting. To evaluate the things in our life where maybe we, we have stepped out in pride and we've gone way beyond what the word of God says. So what does God do? Does God immediately judge Cain because he, he's done this wrong? Verse 6, it says, And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. We see that sin corrupts and likes to bring others in on it. And sin left unjudged leads to worse sin, more grotesque sin, sin that you never imagined you would commit. So just a moment ago, Cain may have uh, been proud in offering the fruit of the, the ground and not having to slay an animal. And just a few moments later, he is slaying his own brother. We would call that hypocrisy. Amazing. But this is what we're all capable of. This is the truth about us. So if you have something in your life that you have somehow doubted the goodness of God, that God wants to withhold this from you for your own blessing, if you've gotten to such a point where you have lifted yourself up in pride and said, well, I'm doing great in these areas, so I'm going to just keep this area for myself, watch out because that pride is going to lead to worse and worse sin. And you're going to wake up one day with blood on your hands and you don't know what happened. This is the idea. And if you think that you're not capable of this sin, watch out. There are times when I read the papers and I I look at the news and you just see the most horrific crimes uh, being committed and I just think to myself, but by the grace of God, that's not me. Not because I'm better, not because of anything else other than the grace of God. There's this idea here 
that those that are sinners that are corrupt have this desire to kill those that are seen as righteous by God. This is the battle that we have raging today. As Jesus said, he was hated without a cause. When you think of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't think of one him of him being a person that the state would want to execute. It just blows our mind. And yet that's what happened. There is this innate desire for a sinful creature that wants to stay in their sin to kill that which reminds them of their sin. Every time that Cain would look at Abel, he would be reminded that he's favored over himself. Every time he looks at Abel, he's going to be reminded that God accepted him but didn't accept me. And it has nothing to do with persons. It has everything to do with Abel, by faith, offered that which God had said. And Cain did not want to. In the same way today, when the gospel is presented, Jesus Christ is the only way. You can, by faith, like Abel, receive that and be saved. Or you can choose not to and be like Cain and say, I'm going to do it my own way. And you see what God is going to continue to do. You're going to end up still in church. Miraculously, you're still going to end up hearing the word of God. God is still going to be seeking after you. God is still going to be speaking to you, still desiring to pull you in that you would be saved. Opportunity after opportunity. If you continue down the path of rejection, you're going to get to a point where God lets you have it. A life without him. So this is a statement that was made Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. I would imagine this would be the cry of all people at the great white throne one day. Free offer of salvation has gone. The payment for sin has been made in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything in the word of God to stand and be saved at this very moment. And if you choose not to, one day you will probably stand before Jesus Christ. You will stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne. The punishment will be dealt out. And you'll think, my punishment is too great to bear. And you know what? It is. And there's eternal suffering that goes with it. It never lets up. The danger of of unjudged sin, the danger of continuing in pride, the danger of not knowing the word of God. um, God has given us these things that we would be happy and safe and thriving, abundant life he offers us. So I hope this encourages you to examine your life as the Lord has made me examine mine Um, this beginning of the new year. For some reason, the word of God has been much more piercing than it has in others. And I think the only reason that is is because I'm perhaps gotten farther away from the Lord than I was before. And it's necessary. And God's doing it to bring me back because he knows what's good for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for this time You've given. Uh, We do thank Thee for this record that we have. We do pray, Father, that we would live a life of faith, that we would live a life that goes out doing what Your Word says, because we trust You. 
Father, as much as I want Noah to do what I ask him to do, um, it's amazing when he does because, you know, I know that he trusts me. I know that he loves me when he decides to obey. Father, we pray that we would become like little children in that sense, that we would be obedient and that we would trust in everything that you provide. We pray for any here that are not yet saved. Um, Father, we pray that they would be having a conviction of soul. We thank you for continuing to seek after them, and we just lift them up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.